But I don't think a lot of uh, pet owners understand quite how much we love your pets. I've had friends say to me, you know, when I go to the vet, they they take my dog and they like parade it around the back and they make such a big deal about it. And I think they just do that with with all the pets. And I think it's just to put on. And I'm like, it's absolutely not. Welcome to the Stubbornly Positive Podcast with Craig Grossi <laughs> and Nora Parkinson. Yeah, here we are. Another episode. Welcome, We're so everybody. Excited. We have a very special guest today. Our first doctors in the house, Dr. Courtney Pierce. Dr. Courtney Pierce received an undergraduate degree in animal science and a doctor of veterinary medicine from North Carolina State University. She earned her Master of Business Administration MBA from King University. She is a small animal general practitioner with special interest in surgery and pain management, feline medicine and compassion fatigue prevention and veterinary healthcare workers. She is certified as a cat-friendly veterinarian and compassion fatigue profession. Freddie loves his bio. Yeah. Dr. Pierce lives on a small farm in Damascus, Virginia with her husband, two young boys, three rescue dogs, one big orange cat, and seven chickens. Seven chickens. I love that you have seven, seven chickens. chickens. <laughs> That's amazing. She's also <laughs> my sister-in-law's best friend. Yeah. So shout out to Ashley. There's a connection. And yeah. we're so lucky to have her on the podcast today. Everybody, please welcome Dr. Courtney Pierce. Yay. Yay. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you, Oh. Absolutely. I am I am honored to be here. I so appreciate the invite and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Oh, we're oh. so excited. Yeah. I mean, we ha- talk to you pretty often. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> text you. But this is the first time we're seeing like face to face. We always are texting or calling, but we never like video chat or anything like that. So this is the first time we're kind of meeting, which yeah. is really exciting for well, us. I, yeah. And we've I hope we haven't uh, ever worn out our access because I, I feel <laughs> like we've <laughs> We've probably come pretty close. <laughs> no, yeah. absolutely not. On the contrary, I think I recently said I I am a consultant to an insta famous oh, dog. Nice. So I, I consider it a big honor. I may include it on my resume oh, going good. forward. Yeah, so good. Well, you, feel free. <laughs> feel free to 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 name drop. You know, yeah. yeah. Add it to your, <laughs> yeah. To your LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. That's Fred, Fred the Afghan. Yeah. All the accolades Courtney has yeah. with Fred on there is pretty amazing. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, truly, it's uh, it is an honor, and um, I know I shared this with you, Nora, but uh, your sister-in-law Ashley has come through for me Aww. in many ways, many times Aww. over the years. So anybody that you, matters Ashley. to her matters to me. Uh, how did you yeah. and Ashley? Did you guys meet and call uh, grow up together? So I, I was like late to the party, is what I like to say. The the <laughs> There's four of us that talk all the time from high school and they all knew each other, grew up elementary, middle school. I came in in the eighth grade or ninth grade. (laughs) I was the new kid at high school. I was very, very shy. And Ashley and the other girls kind of kind of took me in as their friend, um, particularly Ashley 
and, and, you know, kind of the rest is history. So yeah. even 20, what has it been almost 30 years? I still that's, feel like the new kid in the group, but they, they've welcomed me. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm you're here in. to stay. Yeah. You are not the new that's kid so anymore. Aww. That's a long yeah, so, time. That's awesome. It is. That's, and it is truly, I mean, what a great relationship. We, yeah. we text, um, we text daily. We still see each other about, Your you know, sisterhood. once a year when we, I'm sure yeah, it, it really, we could, uh, we could probably turn this whole episode into a roast of, <laughs> of uncle Ashley, as I, as we I like, like to call, to call her out uncle Ashley <laughs> and she loves it because she yeah. is one of, it's a whole story, yeah, but she's, yeah. she's the best. And she's I, also a big part of why we started the podcast, which is why I wanted to give Ashley we know like, you're a, little, listening a little section of this because <laughs> she really, she's big on podcasts and she was really pushing us she to do this. So this is yeah. a lot to do. Thank you, Ashley. Ashley. So yes, thank you, Ashley. Yeah. We love you. We love my brother, Yasha and Dory and Maeve <laughs> and their new pup Meadow yeah which we can't wait to meet so we were talking in our last episode about how big of a reason Courtney is for sorry Freddie's cone uh big of a reason you you were to this whole journey of for with Fred of catching his cancer early yeah uh, we were in Denver and we were about to head to Alaska and we just, it wasn't sitting right that he had some irritation in his mouth, which come to find if, if you listen to the last episode, it was an ulcer in his mouth, but what was next to the ulcer was a tumor. But we talked in Denver and I really vividly remember it because you were like, before you guys go, you got to get this checked out. Like, yeah. You got to get it. And it was, but it was, it, if we hadn't been talking to you, it would have been pretty easy to dismiss it because he was fine. He was yeah. had no other symptoms. Yeah, yeah. He was a little uncomfortable in his mouth, but he was eating. He was, you know, being Fred, he had all the energy in the world. Like it was, and so it was just, you, you are a huge part yes. of, of saving we Fred's life. Thank you for because that, Courtney. We, we, oh. we could have very easily just continued on. You so. were the push we needed to get, you know, a clear, closer look and yeah. we could have just dismissed it because there what really what like Craig said weren't really many any other signs and yeah. I think the last episode we we said you know we don't want to speak too much about cancer specifically oral cancer because we're not professionals hmm. but like would you say I mean I think this is what's so tricky about cancer is that there's a lot early signs there's not a lot of signs it's so hard to catch yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a couple important takeaways there. First, you all are so connected with Fred. Oh. That goes, I think, without saying. <laughs> but and it's, it is a unique and special relationship, but it is one that I see with so many pet owners and their pets. And what that means is that when there's something a little bit off with your pets, Mm -hmm. you notice it. Mm -hmm. And it can be as simple as like his, he seems, I think you told me that he seemed like he was hesitant to eat or that when you would go near his face, yeah. he would pull away. Yeah. Now, yeah, it would be easy to dismiss that. But when you have that special bond with a pet, I really recommend that people trust that, mm. that instinct and that gut feeling that something is wrong because I've seen it over and over in my career, and I've learned to listen to owners mm. who say there's just something off. Mm. Um, wow. It can, like, you can dismiss it both in your internally, like I'm, I'm overreacting or I'm being a little neurotic. But veterinarians, I will say too, it's easy sometimes to dismiss um, 
pet owners is being a little neurotic (laughs) or a little overreacting. But when that bond is so tight and your pet is telling you, I really urge people to listen. And Mm. that's what the two of you did. Like, Mm. I appreciate the the credit, but really all I did was confirm Mm. what you knew that something was off. And so if I gave you the little nudge to listen (laughs) to your gut, then I'm glad. Um, But you all were, you all are so in tune that that little change said something is off. So that's what I would encourage people to do is, is listen to your gut. You're with your pets um, all the time. Like we, we really, we're really in tune with them. So when something's off, listen to yeah. it and and go get it checked out right it was yeah it was more behavioral than anything it right. was just mm-hmm. like something was just he he was being different about right. that and, area and that's such a that's such a good uh thing to to kind of share with people yes. that you know when trust you your gut. trust your gut and and trust your gut when it comes to your relationship with your vet too because if you have yeah. a vet maybe that doesn't isn't listening to your or isn't respecting maybe the bond you have with your animal. Maybe that's a sign that, you know, maybe you need to maybe talk to another vet or get a second opinion or, or, you know, or or just whatever. But yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started about that. Like if you don't have a, a, like what happens if you kind of disagree or you find yourself like not agreeing with your veterinarian, like what would you suggest, um, you know, in that circumstance, like with the, patient and owner and (laughs) vet dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important. Um, the ideal relationship to have with any medical provider is a partnership in my opinion. Um, and that means whether it's your human healthcare provider, your pediatrician or your veterinarian, having a relationship where you feel like your concerns are heard and that you have uh, really, like I said, a, a partnership is so important. Yeah. And so I encourage people, just like you might try, I don't know, two or three dentists before you find one that really jives with you know, what your goals are, what your preferences are. Right. It's the same with veterinarians. You want a veterinarian that, um, that listens to you yeah. and hears your concerns and offers you options um, mm. and, yeah. and options. really digs in. And if you don't feel like you're getting that, that's okay. It might not be the best fit. Yeah. Um, I encourage second opinions. I've been on both ends of that. Right. I've been the second opinion and I am, a, I am beyond certain that people have gotten second opinions on something um, that I've addressed. And that's okay. Right. Like fresh eyes, a fresh outlook can oftentimes be the difference between making a diagnosis and and missing something. And yeah. look, at the end of the day, we're we're human. We're doctors, but we're human. We make mistakes. We have bad days. Um, and and really being an advocate for yourself and for your pet is in, is important in healthcare across the board. Right. I love that you said that. Yeah. I think that that's, yeah. I, we've had veterinarians that you know we for the most part we've had such great relationships. And I think you're right. I think like any like human, not just veterinarians, like human doctors, sorry, I'm going to get Fred settled here is like, you know, finding that right fit with you right right, across the medical board. And just the word, the mm -hmm. word options is such an important, like people should never feel like they, I mean, I'm sure circumstantially there's maybe certain situations where there is only one option, but you know, when it comes to, you know, diet or, or just different approaches, like there's, there's, there's a lot of things on the table and, you know, having a, a vet that, that can kind of lay all the options out for somebody is, 
is uh, is really great. For cancer, for dogs, I want to get to this mm-hmm. before because then I really want to talk more about veterinarians and, and mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as a PSA, because we didn't even know oral cancer was a thing. We can only really speak to that because that's our experience. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was specifically oral cancer. But like, what would you say are kind of some maybe risk factors for oral melanoma or like what to look for and how to pronounce, is it emelona, mel- the, the thing, non-pigmented, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't pronounce it right. I'm like, I'm going to just ask Courtney how to pronounce what yeah. Fred has or yeah. had. It, I think doctors and the medical profession make things hard to pronounce so that we have job security, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, but it is uh, a melanotic ah. melanoma, hmm. which is essentially an oxymoron because it means a non-pigmented pigmented tumor right. because right. melanomas traditionally or what we think of are pigmented meaning they're black or purple or very noticeable and in fred's case there was no pigment associated right. if i'm not right. mistaken right. Yeah. Right. but it was still a tumor of the melanocytes which are the pigmented cells in the body. They're the reason that we get tan or that we have pigment in our skin. So a melanotic melanoma (laughs) is what Fred had or has. Yeah. Let's use the past. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kicked it out. And so, you know, there, I, there are some risk factors, um, that are associated with oral cancers, certain breeds, certainly age. So as our pets get up into their senior years, they are at risk for more cancers in general, just with age, much like with humans. It's hard to say that Fred would have a breed association because he is the most pure uh, (laughs) hybrid mud on the planet. So I don't think that was the case for Fred. Yeah. Uh, and so, it, you know, it can be hard because cancer, it's hard to predict which animals it will affect or which human beings it will affect. But as far as preventative measures, so um, a couple of things to consider. First and foremost, we already talked about listening to your gut yeah. and observing your pet's behavior. If anything changes, particularly about their eating habits, Um, or their level of energy, that's something to get checked out right away. Right. Um, Or if, you know, again, if anything just seems off, certainly uh, if there are any lumps or bumps anywhere on your dog, whether it's in the oral cavity or anywhere else on your dog or cat, important to get that checked out by a veterinarian. Yeah. I'll make a nod to one way that would be a great way to find oral changes, uh, including tumors early, is that if we practice good oral health care with our dogs. Now, I know that's not really an option for Fred because <laughs> he is yeah. resentful of that. Yeah. Feral Fred. You would need like, like oven yeah, mitts. Feral Fred. Yeah. 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 Oven mitts? Yeah. Oh, you would need like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't even know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But for dogs that do allow you to get into their into their mouth, um, believe it or not, you know, oral health care for dogs is really important. So brushing teeth even once a day would just physically put you in the mouth of your pet daily. Yeah, so right. you would be more likely to notice changes. Right. Um, so those are things you can do at home. Just petting your dog, which we all do without thinking, but right. making it a, an intentional practice to really feel every part of your dog's body including taking a look in the mouth or brushing their teeth daily so that you're getting eyes and a feel on your entire pet. Hmm. Um, 
The, you know, the next thing I would recommend, which is really critical, is having exams with your veterinarian at least once a year throughout the life of your pets. But as pets age, anywhere from seven to 10 years, depending on the size of the dog, I'd recommend considering twice annual exams. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's that old adage that that every dog year is equal to seven human years. Yeah. So if you think about it... um, You're only getting one physical exam almost every decade. That's a good point. So right. Consider, you know, a lot can change in the life of a senior pet in six months time. Yeah. So if, right. if you can, wow. um, setting up twice yearly examinations with your veterinarian for a good physical uh, exam. And then I would say importantly, screening blood work. Uh, every year, if not twice a year, and any other screening tests that your veterinarian recommends. So depending on the patient, right. a blood pressure check yearly, and yeah. even things like screening x-rays yep. are ideal for catching disease early. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it's, of all types. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about building, building like data, right? I mean, the, the more your vet has, the right. more they can compare you know, from, oh, this was this time last year, this six, this time six months ago, like, this is what yeah. it looks like. This is what it looks like now. Okay, we have a problem. Like, But if they're going in, they're, you know, sporadically, they're flying blind and it's, yeah. And we can share with our listeners, like for us, we've changed our whole, like the, in the, within the last few years, we started brushing Ruby's teeth. She's always yeah. gotten like routine dental cleanings because Ruby has a small mm-hmm. mouth. Small dogs have, I think, notoriously mm-hmm. worse mouths. Small bite. They're, they're <laughs> <laughs> small mouth, small bite. Thanks, Craig. Um, and like the saliva doesn't move around as much as a bigger dog. Like Fred's teeth were like perfect condition and big he's mouth, barely had any mm-hmm. dental, you know, no brushing, but he had like, you know, he needed his teeth clean very badly. Um, but I just he, give him, um, um, what's it called? The gum that cleans okay, the teeth. Yeah, he likes to chew. He likes to chew. Dad uh, joke. Dentine. I um, give him some dentine every couple of days. <laughs> so we, we've now, and now, but I would never have thought of looking at the cheeks. Like, uh, Dr. Martell yeah. showed us a picture of oral melanoma, like just viciously in the cheek. And mm-hmm. so we, Ruby has a pigmented mouth. We, um, look now everywhere. And then in terms for Fred, we just, like you said, we have to do two, uh, Ruby almost 10 so now for both of them yeah biannual visits and mm-hmm. we have to do your analysis for freddie and and ruby just to make sure their kidneys are you know yep on check and and our in our little cancer support groups too i know for a lot of um the people we've met and their dogs they were saying like weight loss is also not for oral mm-hmm. melanoma yeah. but for some of the other ones drastic weight loss yeah like just like random right just maybe is yeah. that yeah Absolutely. Yep. Weight loss. And I, you know, I connect it with loss of appetite, but you're right because, um, some dogs will have a normal appetite or even an elevated appetite and they will lose weight kind Mm. of, uh, uh, inexplicably. And that is, yeah, that is a a hallmark sign. Hmm. And, um, I want to make sure I mentioned too, that, uh, you know, I mentioned that oral healthcare in dogs is very important And that does include yearly dental cleanings, ideally, which is a great time. We know we can't look in Fred's mouth until he's asleep. (laughs) So with yearly dental cleanings, that's a great opportunity for your veterinarian to get a look everywhere, under the tongue, um, around the gun line, on the cheek, the the upper hard palate, places that you just normally wouldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. 
and that can again I, detect these early. I mean, we've heard I, so many sad stories on social media now of like the upper palate, like you said, just areas you would never really. Well, like, yeah, we would have never noticed Fred's in the back where it was. Like no. you would have noticed maybe in the front or right. And I, I mean, now I've just I've been looking in Fred's mouth so much with pictures yeah. and like yeah. and when he's been mm-hmm. under. And I, I've gotten to look like down the back of his throat and how pigmented his whole throat is. Yeah. And well, it just yeah. makes me like so grateful that that, yeah, it was in a hard spot to detect. But still, it could have been even harder if it was like down his in the back of his throat. Mm-hmm. It would have just, you know, been back there growing and growing. And we would have had no idea until it was too late, you know. So it's it's just, yeah, the more the more, more vi- eyes, eyes you get. Yep, exactly. It, like biannual with your vet. And yeah. I'm so glad. Thank you for, for giving that advice because I think that's, yeah, that's so huge. helpful. I mean, stuff that we didn't know just a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now it's it's changed our life. Yeah, and we can we can hopefully, yeah. you know, help help some other yeah. people and their and pets. I feel like we probably will get questions so we can like keep up with Courtney. Courtney can yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Positive, uh, we'll have a, uh, we'll have a biannual uh, <laughs> visit from uh, from Courtney. Yeah, and that I'm curious <laughs> more about Courtney. Like, what made you want to be a veterinarian? Did, yeah. did you grow up wanting to be a veterinarian? Like, what was it that pushed you into the field? Yeah, thank you for the question. And I like to say that I was I was a late bloomer when it comes to wanting to be a veterinarian because if you talk to most vets, they say they knew from the time that they were four years old, that Hmm. that's what they were going to do. And that was the only thing they wanted to do. So in my case, I didn't decide that I wanted to be a veterinarian until the ripe old age of 17. So I was a little (laughs) late to it. But uh, the way, the way it happened for me is that in high school, I was um, thankful and thankfully enough, our school had a community service program. And so in my 17 year old calculus, I said, I can skip school for two and a half hours and go do community service and I'll get credit for it. And they call it a class. Well, I signed up to work at the local animal shelter. And as part of my community service class, I took care of the entire um, group of cats that were housed at the shelter. Now, this would have been about like 1996. So. I think shelter medicine and shelter housing has come a long way in most places. Um, This was a different time. The conditions (laughs) for the animals were challenging, uh, to say the least. And it was a really, uh, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but it was a heartbreaking and a life-changing experience for me. And so I'm thankful for it. Right. But what what inspired me is that I looked at that shelter and it said, there are so many animals here Mm. that don't have homes, um, that don't have families to love them. And unfortunately it is the case that some of those pets never made it back out um, in the world. And so I was inspired to be a veterinarian because I thought again, in my 16, 17 year old calculus that I could fix the problem that I could Mm. save all of those pets and, and make sure that no pet ever, um, <laughs> die. I know, right. Died it's, needlessly no, because they didn't have a home. And yeah. so it inspired me and propelled me to want to be a veterinarian. And I still remember my first day of orientation at vet school, they asked us, why did you want to be a vet? And that was what I shared. I said, because, mm. you know, I want the pets to all have homes. I want them all to have loving families. And, you know, I was thinking about this last night, like I haven't achieved the goal. Yeah. There are still pets that don't have homes. 
Um, so in some ways I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I failed at my task, no. but I am heartened to know that in the time, so 25 years, things have changed a lot in this country. The oh, yeah. value that we place on pets um, as members of our family yeah. has increased dramatically. Um, also, the approach that we've taken to shelter pets has really advanced. So I there's a statistic that I share with other veterinarians when I when I do medical education uh, for different reasons. But in 2019, the ASPCA reported that 43,000 pets, so cats and dogs, were transported from areas of high density of homeless pets. So yeah. Stereotypically, that's the the south, um, the southeast, and the southwest. Yeah. And there were forty three thousand pets pulled from high kill shelters wow. and transported to places like the Northeast, um, California, um, and other locations like, interestingly, Denver, Colorado. Huh. They just love the homeless pets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where where adoptable pets are in high demand. Yeah. So. Cool. so while it, there's still the case that some pets, you know, never find a home and never make it out of the shelter, it's changed a lot. Mm. Uh, and that gives me hope that we'll continue to improve that. Yeah, situation. I think well, you're part of it. Yeah. You're the, the, I think you're part of the you are the reason why that has changed. Yeah. It's people like you, with the biggest hearts yeah. and dedicating your life to serving animals. I mean, you saved Fred's life. You really did. I know you say it's like, but like it was the kick that, no, that we yeah. needed. Yeah. And I think it's it's vets like you that are like that have such just empathy and and just yeah the biggest hearts and yeah. Maine is one of those places right where um, a lot of where those a pets lot come of from down no but south. it does it takes it takes people like you that have that have a vision yes to, that that have a, a an idea as as bold and you know uh, as 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 that it's you know so to true. to make sure that no pets go unhomed or unloved like that. You know, yeah. you have to think that that beautifully and, and that, that, big. that big, you yeah. know, and, and it's and it's working. It's yeah. working, you know, yeah. and that's for that's, anyone young I, listening. Yeah. Look, look what you can do. I know, keep doing the work. Yeah. And I want to give credit where credit is due. I've been able to, um, you know, I've I've been able to be a part of, of the solution. But yes. for those veterinarians that dedicate their life to being shelter vets or right. working mm. for the ASPCA, right. um, we you know, many, many of us contribute in ways that we can. So even your full-time practicing veterinarians, uh, many of us will volunteer for spay neuter programs. Yeah. Um, while, you know, while also doing full-time jobs, wow. there's a veterinarian wow. in Greensboro, North Carolina, who will probably never hear this podcast, right. but she runs a program called FCAP. Um, this veterinarian owns a practice um, that takes up you know, tons of her time. Like she yeah. owns a full fledged veterinary practice. Yeah. And one Sunday a month, there's a group of veterinarians that get together. It's anywhere from five to 10 of us that, um, spay cats that are, that are feral to yeah. help address that population of animals that, you know, are not housed and, um, are, are not getting the care they need. And so that's an example. I, I volunteered with that group early in my career when I lived there, but she's been doing that, I think, for 10 or 15 years in wow. addition to a full-time job. Wow. So those Beautiful. are the kind of things, right? So credit where credit is due. There's so many veterinarians out there contributing in, in full-time ways or part-time ways. 
Um, and, and I really am encouraged to see that that's that, that problem that I thought 25 years ago I could solve single-handedly yeah. <laughs> it actually well, it, makes it, a huge village. Totally. Yeah. When it speaks to the, something that we've seen just at AMC with dealing with Fred and, and everything that we've been going through with him is, is the collaboration yeah. that vets, vet veterinarians yeah. have. And that's, you know, seems to, to, uh, to us to be pretty unique in terms of the medical field that veterinarians are so much more inclined to, to work, come together on an issue, whether it's a single dog like Fred, where, you know, our Dr. Martel reached out to another surgeon, Dr. Ferrari to work together, to come together for a solution or, yeah. or an issue like, you know, a cat population that needs to be, you know, spayed and, and neutered so that they can control it and, and help that situation. Like you guys all come together so quickly yeah. and so naturally. It's amazing. Yeah. Would you say that veterinarians are like slightly more collaborative than human <laughs> doctors? Cause that's can what we, we've Can we put seen. you on the record as saying that? <laughs> but there is, I think there is a culture. I mean, if you could speak to the collaborative culture yeah, that you've yeah. seen, not to, yeah. not to divide the world, no. but you know, I, I absolutely can. I can speak to how yeah. collaborative veterinarians yeah. are. And it's not our human counterparts. You know, I've I've actually had the um, the, the opportunity to have some amazing family practitioners uh, on the the human side. And you know, it's interesting that I consider veterinarians. We are the family doctors right. of the pet world. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, we are because we really we treat cradle to grave um, right. on any given day in a practice. I might see a puppy uh, and I might see a super senior pet. Right. Yeah. And so we are like the family, family practice. practitioner. Yeah. Totally. But with that, I, I do see a lot of parallels. We do tend to be more collaborative because um, it, it is the case that we do all things as general practitioners. Mm. Now, Fred has seen a, a variety of specialists and those are veterinarians that are credentialed in very specific disciplines like surgery or oncology. Right. But the majority of veterinarians um, in small animals, so I'm, you know, specifically with small companion animals, we're general practitioners. And that means that, again, on any given day, we are a pediatrician, a cardiologist, yeah. a gastroenterologist, Crazy. a surgeon, a dermatologist, yeah. a parasitologist. So yeah. a pharmacist, <laughs> right? Poison control, yeah. um, and right. you know, annual labor it. and delivery, and you uh, have to deal with doctors. the humans. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, that's and psychologist. <laughs> so what that means is, if if you're not willing to ask for help and you're not willing to um, work with one another, to think that you could be an expert in all of those things, I think, is a, a fool's errand. And I I have to think that's why veterinarians are are collaborative because we are asked to be so many things to so many people yeah. that it takes a group effort. And it is one of the things I've enjoyed most about my career. Um, you know, there's many things I've enjoyed, but collaborating with colleagues, not a day goes by that I don't share a text message or a phone call with another veterinarian mm. about cases wow. or managing clients or, you know, any number of things, what the best daycare is in town <laughs> yeah. so that you can have children and be a veterinarian. Right, right. So we, we do work together. Yeah. And it's not to say other professions don't, but I think those are some of the reasons why we, we really, we do so many different things in a day that it, it requires a team effort. Well, I, I think it speaks so highly to the intelligence mm. of veterinarians yes. because it takes 
it, it can be counter to what a lot of people think, but it takes a higher level of intelligence to work together, to mm. ask for help, to collaborate. That requires more intelligence than than it does to just think that you can handle everything. Mm. Um, so it just it yeah. just says like so much about veterinarians and and the type of people that. That, that are drawn to that, to that work. You guys are so intelligent. Mental health wise though, that's a mm -hmm. lot mm -hmm. on a person to have all of those fields, you know, like the psychologists, like the medical <laughs> professional, but that's, mm -hmm. you think about that. And it's not something I think we think about is like veterinarian mental health. And I love that you're an advocate of it. And, and mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more on that and just like just hearing you say all list, all the things that a vet yeah. can do in a day that also must be like extremely uh, yeah. challenging yeah. and uh, seems like a total mountain to climb daily. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and thank you for recognize that, recognizing that. Let me say thank you to both of you oh. for giving me an opportunity to <laughs> talk about this because oh, it is a subject that, you know, I'm really passionate about, um, and it, it likely goes without saying that we, we become passionate about things that that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, and in veterinary medicine, it's a career that that I absolutely love. But I tell people it didn't always love me back. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. There, there were times where. Um, all of those stresses that I describe being everything to everybody, yeah. um, being the doctor, being the emotional support for clients, even being sometimes the financial advisor, yeah, whether right. or not right. I yeah. really wanted to be, right. um, it, it can take its toll. And there were times where um, I really wondered how I was going to do another day in the hospital and what I know now, having trained as what's called a certified compassion fatigue professional, which is just somebody who is, um, I'm not a mental health care provider. I am a veterinarian who has interest in helping my colleagues develop skills of resiliency to really thrive in this profession versus just existing. Mm. But what I've learned is that I'm, I'm not alone in having had those feelings. Um, in fact, it's the statistic is that 44% of veterinarians, this was a study in 2021, so the most recent statistic we have, yeah. said that they considered leaving the profession. Wow. That means almost half of veterinarians have said, you know, I've really thought about doing something differently. Yeah, wow. It doesn't mean that all of them are going to leave, but it tells us that you know, many of us in this profession are struggling. And when they were asked further, like what reasons um, make them want to leave the profession? It really, it, it wasn't about like the money or the, the accolades or anything like that. Mental health was the number one reason that they listed for wanting to leave the profession. Wow. Um, number two was the lack of work-life balance. And being able to really shut it off at the end of the day, we take our yeah. cases home with us, yeah, um, figuratively and literally. <laughs> like I have had puppies set up on IV fluid pumps in my living room. <laughs> oh, jeez, <laughs> wow, time. yeah. And then, and then the third one, and we can touch on this, but the third reason that veterinarians cited were difficult clients. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe it. Yeah. It, yeah, so it, it takes its it, it takes its toll on veterinarians, and you know this gets. I, I think it gets a little dark, but I think it's important to talk about because I know Nora. One of the yeah. things you wanted to talk about is like what what can we do as pet owners yes. to 
to alleviate yes. some of these things. And we will talk about that. But there is a real crisis in our profession. Um, there are roughly a third of us, so 31% of veterinarians have experienced major depressive episodes. Wow. That, that's big. Mm, yeah. That's huge. Um, 17% have considered suicide. Wow. Um, and there are many veterinarians that that have, in fact, completed suicide. Hmm. I lost a classmate um, who I trained with. Um, one of my very good friends lost her best friend from vet school and so on and so forth. Yeah. Like there are frequently we hear of veterinarians who get to that point. Now, there is some contribution uh it's not all, it's not just that the profession is challenging. It's that our profession, when you ask what makes veterinarians different, yeah. it attracts a somewhat different kind of person. Now I'm stereotyping a little bit, yeah. but we do have some data to say that uh, I think it's 44% of veterinary students are self-described as introverts. Mm. Um, now introverts are, are no different, no better or worse mm -hmm. than extrovert. Yeah. I'm married to one. <laughs> he has many strengths. <laughs> but it is, <laughs> it is the case that for introverts, every social interaction is a debit, mm. you know, of their, of their well of resources. Um, and so if you think about a veterinarian who might see 20 to 25 cases a day, those are debits yeah, that really challenge um, really drain people. You add into that that we're overrepresented by perfectionist personality types. Mm. <laughs> and then finally, you know, we're compassionate. We're right. a compassionate group of people. Right. And so we take the stress home with us. Uh, we have a hard time drawing boundaries uh, around our emotional and mental well-being. And so it's this storm of factors. It's not just what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. It's who we are. Um, that creates this mental health challenge uh, for us as veterinary professionals. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, I have a couple other, you know, a couple other thoughts about it. One that, that I, that I want to highlight is there's this two things, two phenomenons. One is called secondary traumatic stress mm. and what that means, we we think about PTSD, and and I want to tread very very carefully because again, I'm not a mental health professional, sure. but and I and I know Craig, having you know read your books, that that this subject yeah. um, is near to you. Of course. So PTSD is a personal experience. Um, you have the stress, you have the trauma, and you deal with the aftermath of that. For veterinarians, there's this huge component of what's called secondary traumatic stress. So you are adjacent to somebody mm. who has a traumatic stress. Yeah. You are part of the situation. It is not your pet that is injured. It is not your pet that is dying, but you are right there with that family. Yeah. You are right there with that pet owner. Mm. And this is one that I struggled with a lot as a veterinarian because I would almost berate myself. This isn't your dog. This isn't your loss. Mm. Why are you so upset? But what I didn't realize is that this is a phenomenon that's real yeah. and that really impacts veterinarians. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. 
And then there's this, and it's a hard thing to, to really even validate, to say, this is a real feeling. Like I, I get to feel a certain way about this, yeah. even though it wasn't my loss. Right. right. And then the second thing that's huge for veterinarians is something called moral stress. And this is a phenomenon that veterinarians, like most of us experience, the statistic is one to two times per week. And moral stress is knowing what the right thing is to do and not being able to do it. Decisions, yeah. Yeah, so picture a pet, um, and this happens, and, and this can be a little hard, so I you know, I'll, I'll warn your listeners that this this is a, a hard truth to yeah. understand. But picture a pet who comes into the emergency room with a life-threatening injury. And I worked in an emergency room for a couple of years. Wow. And the pet has a life-threatening injury, like an intestinal obstruction or a badly um, uh, vehicular trauma. Yeah. So really significant injuries. And it is the case that pet owners... Um, have a financial burden associated with care. Yeah, and those financial burdens, as you well know, can be enormous. Yeah. and not every family is prepared for that. Right. And so, as veterinarians, we're oftentimes faced with the task of counseling pet owners on euthanizing pets that could be saved, mm. but they can't for yeah. financial reasons. So that moral stress is knowing oh, I can't imagine. So hard. I know wow. what I the right imagine. thing is to do yeah. and not being able to do it. Wow. And yeah. And the really, really interesting thing in some of the training I've done is that moral stress so that I know what the right thing is and I can't do it triggers the fight or flight response yeah. really? in a person. Wow. And if you trigger the fight or flight response constantly, yeah. yep. your cortisol, cortisol increases, your, like, yeah. and, and that can lead to burnout right. and compassion fatigue. Right. So it's those two somewhat unique, and I think secondary traumatic stress is not at all unique to veterinarians. I can only imagine what ER doctors sure. and nurses experience yeah, right. and many other professions. Mm-hmm. But that moral stress, the euthanasia of um, necessity, that one is unique yeah. to veterinarians. Very, very challenging. Especially the yeah. financial, because like as humans, like most of us have some, I mean, we, I think we also deal with this in the, in the medical system, like the, the, yeah. right, the financial burden, like that's, but I think for animals, it's much more common to be on insurance than like right. pet insurance. Right. And right. I can't imagine yeah. that. And then having to help the family the, the psychology yeah. in that and yeah, the mental health yeah. part the stress of that and because you as a vet like we know why you became a vet you have the biggest heart you have yeah. so much yeah. empathy you have right. so much compassion and we've saw it with dr martell just in those i mean he does his surgeries like constantly and yeah. like having fred have these complications because of fred is was really hard on him too i'm sure not that he really showed that but i I, I no, know you can see yeah. you just you can see how invested he he you guys he is, are invested you know? in your animals and they right. they can't talk they can't and yeah. I think as pet owners mm-hmm. and for veterinarians like you are so invested because they're just this ball of love yeah and you yeah. know that because yeah. you love animals and they you fall in love with them and I that has to be we so do. challenging <laughs> you know Nora one of the things I think you asked me ahead of time was like um what like, what is it like to be a veterinarian? I think you said, yeah. what is something we wouldn't know? And it yeah. sounds like you know it, 
But I don't think a lot of uh, pet owners understand quite how much we love your pets. <laughs> I've had friends say to me, you know, when I go to the vet, they they take my dog and they like parade it around the back and they make such a big deal about it. And I think they just do that with with all the pets. And I think it's just to put on. And I'm like, it's absolutely not. Like, <laughs> if you bring me, I, I mean, I have I have um, pictures of patients oh, yeah. on really? my bookshelf. Actually, oh. you can probably see this is one of my favorite um, yeah. dogs here named Surfer. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he's a whole other story. Yeah. A good one, actually. But we we love your pets, yeah. and we do we care so much. I I don't want to speak for Dr. Martell, yeah. but when I've seen Fred's progress, mm. that was one of my first thoughts is like, I wonder how big his ulcer is right now. Mm. Dr. Martell, like, how <laughs> yeah. many pumps oh, he's yeah. doing on the daily, yeah. thinking about how he's going to get Fred to heal. Yeah. And again, not to speak for him, but a lot of veterinarians will, will think, oh, it's my fault. The dog's not healing. Yeah. Um, or if I were better, the perfectionist tendencies yes. come in and that, I, and that can be really challenging as well. I had a moment when I was in the operating room with Fred and they let me stay with him while he got, oh. while the sedation stuff kind of kicked in. And I'm just, I was laying on the floor with him while all these doctors and, and nurses are running around, like, you know, working on other animals and, and, um, you know, and I said to kind of nobody in particular, like you guys must really love mm. animals to do what you do. And, and one of them jokingly, like sarcastically was like, what to torture them, you know? <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> no. Like, that's what they were expecting. You. Yeah. That's the, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, she was, she's being funny about it, but, and I was, I was like, no, no, absolutely not. You, you sign up to see them at their most vulnerable yes. and in their time of mm -hmm. need. And that, if that's not, love then i don't know what is yeah. you know and and so you're absolutely it's really cool to hear yeah you say for like hear from a veterinarian firsthand that like mm -hmm. no the that every dog every cat every pet that comes in that office is like you know they're they're on parade like they are they are a big deal yeah. <laughs> that's really cool they are and like i when i first started practicing and i got to my my first uh general practice in in 2008 there was a doctor who'd been there for 10 years and every time a pet would come into the treatment area, she'd go, oh, hey, Sparky, hey, hey, cop, you know. Yeah. And I'd, I'd think to myself, how does she know the names of all these animals? <laughs> and slowly but surely over time, I was that vet who was right. like, oh, hey, there's right. so-and-so. <laughs> like, by sight, knew hundreds of pets. That's because, awesome. again, yeah, we, we, we really do, like – we really do care. I'll share one fun story, actually, yeah. Please, um, yeah. just about one of my uh, one of my veterinary hospital veterinary colleagues down in Boone, North Carolina. I was actually driving through Boone and there was this um, older pit bull at a gas station kind of on the side of the road. And I was like, buddy, you're going to get hit by a car. This yeah. is a bad life choice. So I pull into the gas station. This dog, I opened the door, he immediately jumped in. And I think his face was like, oh, thanks. I really yeah. off more than I could do here. Like, what am I doing? So in my head, I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this dog? I've got to somehow get him scanned for a microchip. Yeah. I've, I've got to figure out how to reunite him with his family. He didn't have a collar on. So I knew there was a veterinary hospital on the, the main strip in that town. I said, I know those guys. They're, they're good folks. I'll just go there. I'll see if they can scan them. I'll see if they can call animal control. Yeah. So I bring them to this vet hospital a couple miles away. 
I walk in the door. I say, hey, I found this dog on the side of the road. I'm just wondering if you could scan him for a microchip, which could reunite him with his owner. And the two women at the front desk, the customer service um, representatives, they looked at him and they went, Petey? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, you know this dog? And they said, yeah, that's Petey so-and-so. Let's call his owner. Oh and they gosh. called his owner. And so of the, you know, most veterinary hospitals have 4,000 canine patients. Yeah. Yeah. These two women looked at this one dog, knew who he was, oh, I called his owner, and his owner came to pick him up. Oh, and my like, gosh. Story. My heart was just so warmed. I'm yeah. like, veterinarians are the same There's no so matter where love. we are. Like, we really care. So it was probably Petey. one of my one of my favorite moments ever. I still told the, the wild. practice owner happened. <laughs> I love that you just like no questions, like yeah. just door open, get like it. get in here. Sure. And I love <laughs> also one of my favorite things about any uh, uh, vet waiting room is the names, like saying oh my gosh. when any oh, yeah. uh, front desk, you know, receptionist yeah. starts like calling out like the patient names. That's one of my favorite it's so funny. times yeah. to be in a hospital because no one wants to go to an animal right. hospital, but like sitting there and hearing like yeah. the just amazing. Yeah. What, what was it? It was like, um, Charlotte, uh, Charlize Theron was one of them. <laughs> and we were like, what? And like, and the, yeah, it's like, you know, puffy yeah. and ruffles. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like this very serious place. Mm. It's a hospital waiting room. And then like ruffles? they come out with a clipboard and they're like, ruffles, ruffles, come on back. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, light, the lightheartedness yeah, of, of having yeah, to be in so the waiting cute. room. Right. Uh, I love that. I love talking about this and it's not something we think about often. And I, I remember after Fred's first, like, w- after the major surgery, we were back um, in, seeing him recover a little bit. And I don't think often like the parents get to be in that situation. This was like a unique opportunity for Craig and yeah. I that we could be in that, yeah. like that part of Fred's kind of aftercare. And you know, you could tell like this was the relief and we posted this on social media, the relief on Jane, on Dr. Martell's face when he came up to tell you Fred's okay. Yeah. And it was a success. And then going down and seeing like Ada, the uh, resident and um, specifically Carrie, the anesthesiologist. um, Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, they had gone through, you know, a traumatic surgery too, you know, and they know how much Fred means to the world and to us. And I know they put the same care in every patient, but specifically where this is Fred and in this, in this story. And I don't know my heart, like it just, I was like, you know, of course crying. So now I I should not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) It's like too emotional for everybody. (laughs) But I asked like for all the names of everybody who operated on Fred and mm-hmm. I could just tell just like, cause I, we wanted to do something. We felt so helpless and we knew so many hearts were in on this and the successful surgery. And we just wanted to do something, but I could tell it just like, wasn't, um, it wasn't common. Like it wasn't yeah. common that like mm-hmm. parents were like, how can we thank you? Like I, I tried to look up like the boat is a bubble tea or whatever. Cause they oh, all had they that all, bubble yeah, tea. They and they I was like, on bubble tea gift cards. I was like the calling all the bubble tea places. Like, yeah. do you have gift cards? And, and they were like, you don't have to do that. Like we seeing Fred recover was us is, you know, yeah. The, yeah. the the gift. But like, what can we do as, you know, pet parents to make it a little easier? I mean, now I think a lot of people's perspective might change today. And like, how can we make it yeah. easier on on veterinarians? 
Yeah, thank thank you so much for that question and really for being willing to talk about that. And I do have some ideas, but I, you made me realize one thing. I want to give a huge shout out because we talked a lot about veterinarians um, specifically, but really the unsung heroes of any veterinary practice are all of the other yeah. staff members, sure. specifically your veterinary assistant yeah. um, or what we call licensed veterinary technicians. Right. They're like the nurses. Yes. They do the bulk, they do the bulk of the patient care. Yeah. And you know, their, their stress is no different than the veterinarian. So I, do, I don't want to leave that sure. unmentioned. Yeah, and when, thank you. When I do talk to practices about mental health, um, it, it, a lot of it is talking to the assistants. Right. Um, they are some of the hardest working people in the industry. I'm sure. And again, not that money is everything, but they are undercompensated yeah. for the contribution that they make to pet care. Um, salaries across the board for veterinary healthcare professionals would probably shock most of you. Mm. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's not about money, but I want to be very clear. Oh, no, that's yeah. not why no, anyone goes into this no, profession, it's a, yeah. but yeah, but, and what I love is that you all did seek out, like you, you saw Dr. Martell and you saw your, your oncologist, but you sought out all the other people that, that helped Fred. And that is, mm. that is huge because there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And so as far as what, what pet owners could do, um, and I love this question because, you know, we don't often think about helping those that are, that are helping us. But I think as human beings, the more we put ourselves in that frame of mind of like, how can we help each other? Um, the better off we are. Yeah. And so the very first thing that I'm going to suggest um, for all pet owners is to consider getting pet health insurance. Mm, yeah. That might seem like not the most obvious thing, like bubble tea is great <laughs> and coffee and bagels. <laughs> right, right. Get, right. <laughs> get pet health insurance. Right. And here's why. Because when your pet has a major medical issue like Fred does right. or a minor medical issue, if finances are off the table, right you and the veterinarian can make the best decision for the pet period. Right. And yeah, that absolutely. is where That's huge. the magic happens, where we veterinarians get to do the job that we signed up for, which is caring for the pets and the pets get the care that they need. Right. Uh, veterinary medicine has become so advanced as you all experience. I mean, there's an entire you know, field of veterinary radiation and oncology. Like that was unheard of right. um, a couple decades ago. Really? But it comes, yeah. I, I mean, it comes with cost though. Right. Um, and that cost can be really enormous, particularly when it's unexpected. Yeah. So I would urge pet owners to have a plan, sure. whether that's pet health insurance, uh, a rainy day fund, or even something like a credit card that's dedicated to medical expenses, yeah. period. Absolutely. So you have plan on you it. have an option. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely and so yeah. It, it's so it, you know, you, you have to have a plan. So yes. that that is really my number one piece of advice yeah. for pet owners. Hundred percent. Which seems kind of simple, but it means so much when you can just do the work for yeah. the pet, um, help the owner through the treatment process and do the very best thing, um, for, 
your your loved one, yeah. your family member. That's uh, an emergency. Yeah. Also, if you can't, if you're not going to do insurance, like an emergency plan, especially yeah. if you have seen yeah. your dogs. You know, yeah. especially have a, the rainy day fund. Yeah, um, you know whether it's a general fund. So, like if your you know your water heater goes out, like or your right. dog gets sick right. or your Tell cat, me, yeah. Or, have a, have fun. or if your dog tips over a bunch of lights in your <laughs> office and destroys your audio equipment. <laughs> this uh, dog with a cone during a podcast recording is a, a fascinating feat. Yeah, sorry for <laughs> all of our Patreon viewers that are watching the, the chaos it's as okay. we record. But I want to, b- before we go, I would love to see if you had a, uh, a stubbornly positive moment yeah. that you could share yeah. with like a moment. I mean, you've talked a lot of, of, of these moments and I think veterinarians might have more than we ever realized. Right. Of, yeah. of like moments where you, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> you chose wow. to wag your tail when you, despite having yeah. any reason to, Fred. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I, this is gonna, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, mm. and believe it or not, um, since you asked me to be on this podcast. And I thought about, there's not one, there's not one moment, but yeah. rather a season in my life yeah. that I didn't feel like wagging my tail mm-hmm. at all. And so I wanted to share that because I think it's, um, you know, a slightly different topic, but I'll, I'll just share it was it was a season in my life where being positive was really, really challenging. Um, in the summer of 2012, so a little over 10 years ago, um, we, my family lost my younger brother, oh, wow. um, to addiction. Oh, corny. And six weeks later, I became a mom for oh. the first time. So wow. I had my first son. Six weeks? And then six weeks. And then less than a year later, so before my son turned a year old, we lost my dad mm. to really like a vicious and long battle with cancer. Mm. So oh, in I'm less so than a year's time, <laughs> wow. I was hit with so much grief. Yeah. I didn't know what way to turn. Yeah. And I was tired. Okay. I was a new mom, which is so rewarding, but God, I was exhausted and I was sad and I didn't a lot of times know how to go forward. Not to mention I was full on in veterinary practice. So yeah. all the things that we talked about oh. were still happening. Oh my gosh. How did you get yeah. through that? Yeah. And, um, you know, throwing it on top of that, we moved, I started a new job. My husband started a new job. So it was really a challenging time mm. in my life. Mm. Um, but it's so important because what I learned was, a couple of important things. One, um, suffering in, in life or pain in life is inevitable. None of us make it through this life without pain. We, we all have pain. We all have loss. I think we all deal with trauma. Um, but a, a very wise person once told me that um, pain plus resistance e- equals suffering. Mm. So if you resist the pain and you try to keep it away, um, you suffer. And so when for that period of time. And I wish I could say it was quick or easy. Mm. Uh, I was feeling a lot of pain. I had to accept that if I resisted it, that I, that I would suffer. And so what I've chosen to do instead, uh, is to constantly look for things in life that bring me joy Mm. in big ways and in small ways. Mm. And, um, what that's taught me again is that, you know, life, you can, 
it's not hard to find bad things out yeah. there. Like just turn on your sure. your phone or, right. you know, watch the news or talk to anybody and you'll find pain or suffering um, pretty easily. But you can also find beauty in life and joy. And I find it every single day mm-hmm. um, in listening to people's stories and their triumphs. Um, you know, Craig, your book like was <laughs> one of those moments that just brought me so much joy. Oh, thank you, um, Courtney. That, yeah, it, it really <laughs> did. Um, hearing that story, mm. and you know, and then spending as much time as I can outside, appreciating the little things, yeah. um, and and all of the you know, kind of all of the the wonderful things that I have in in my life, my children. Um, the ability to go outside and be on the Appalachian Trail, which I'm probably going to do this afternoon. Nice. Those yeah. are, wow. you know, those are all things that like I can choose to mm-hmm. to think about all the challenging things that have happened, and I do, and I give space and and allow space and time for that grief, but I choose to remain positive and yeah. and look for the good things. So uh-huh. it's a little bit of a tough one. I I, oh. I tried to come up with a really simple answer. But that is really the, you know, the life I've lived in the the last 10 years. And I I am so fortunate. I'm so lucky for everything I have and everything I get to do that that I'm 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 still wagging my tail. Yeah, no, you <laughs> that's the ultimate you captured it stubbornly perfectly. positive. I mean, that's so much to go through, Courtney. I'm so sorry for you and your family and you. to see yeah. and, and like you said, all the transitions you're going through. That's just so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you you have to you're in this moment of joy. It's your first child. You're trying to like enjoy these yeah. moments which is must it's just I can't, I can't even imagine and, but uh, knowing you and and I can tell just how strong you are and and like diving in like you said and and being yeah. vulnerable and it's you're a beautiful person and and not avoiding that pain I mean that that's yes. that's the whole idea of wagging Facing your tail it. wagging your tail when you have no reason to right. I mean, it's 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 not yeah. it's not ignoring the pain it's it's leaning, it, into, leaning it. into that pain and 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 accepting that pain and finding something within that to wag your tail about. And that's, you, you just, yeah. you did it perfectly. I think like that's, um, it's really it's beautiful. It's what this is all about. That's what it's all about. Because this is the human experience, like you yeah. said, is like loss and hardship. And it, there's this mm-hmm. level of it. And then there's the human experience of choosing well, yeah. to celebrate what you have and what to be grateful for and focusing on those things. And you, you have built yeah. a life of, yeah. of that. You went yeah. to, you, at 17, you went to right. a shelter in, in the nineties and which saw was, the hardships and saw like really, I'm sure you were being very gentle about it, but just yeah. awful stuff right. going on with animals and the conditions they were living in. And, and you leaned into and, it. And it, a lot of 17 year olds would have gone running right. for the mall and right. like, you know, right. <laughs> oh, and there is a good mall around yeah, there, you know, and, and like, and, but you leaned into that. Yep. Courtney, that's yeah. like, and you built, it you, says everything you ran about you. to that. You ran into a burning yeah. building, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's incredible, incredible. And your yeah. career and all the lives that you've impacted, like human and animals. Yeah. Well, you certainly there's, impacted. Yeah. Ours. There's four of them sitting right here. <laughs> yeah. One of them's got a cone One on. of them's <laughs> knocking into the whole office <laughs> while you yeah. Uh, on you purpose. Know, I was, I was thinking about one other thing, which you just, I think you just said it in a different way, Craig, is um, I do my best thinking when I was running mm-hmm. and I was running last yeah, week me too. and 
I've thought about this, this thing that people say when bad things happen and forgive me if it's something you say or something that resonates with you or your, your audience, Mm. but people will say everything happens for a reason. Right. And I struggled with that. Like what reason was there for me to lose my brother six weeks before he would have been an uncle? Like what reason was that? So I was thinking about you know, what's the truth in that statement? And I think the truth is everything, if you look for it, you can find a potential lesson or a potential good thing Um, with some, you know, possible exceptions. But that's how I feel about it now, because I I had to make sense of that statement. Everything happens for a reason. Really? (laughs) That hurts when when, when you hear it. You're not ready for it, but everything potentially offers you a lesson or, or meaning that you can use in your life. And, you know, Fred's cancer, you know, I, did it happen for a reason? I don't want to think that like Fred's a great dog. He doesn't deserve that. You all don't deserve that. But the lesson and the meaning is it in it is what you're doing now, which is helping other pet owner. Yeah. I like, so I love that you all turn it into that. Hmm. No, I'm really glad you said that because especially with death and I've seen, you know, close friends and family go through that is like comments like, oh, it'll make sense in time and like timing. And it's like, ah, and I know, you know, people say it (laughs) when they don't know what to say. And I think it's the human kind of heart thing. And I, I, I totally get, but I think like you said, is gratitude is like finding something to hold on to um, cause what else are you going to do? Well, it can like, be, what else it, are you yeah. going to like, you just going to let it consume I, and you can, and you know, I know plenty yeah. of people that can, and that's maybe not wrong for some people, but for us, we need to find something to carry on and, and make sense. It's and the dismissiveness help. in it. Yeah. It's just the dismissiveness of like, Oh, everything happens for a reason. It's like, but I say it sometimes no, in the context sure. of like what you're it's saying, okay. Courtney, of like, yeah. of like, there's lessons here that we can learn. Yeah. That will like make us grow. Yeah, I don't know about better, but like we evolve as humans, and this it's up to us yeah. to find that wild reason. adventure yeah. that we're all on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Life is a pretty ruthless teacher. Like yeah. it, it'll teach you whether or not you uh-huh. want to be taught. And, yeah. you know? and I think medical professionals, like my mom's a, a retired nurse, and you know, if I made any jokes about the human me- medical field, we have like the most respect. I mean, yeah, our, we have a family of, of yeah. medical professionals and, and so much love for it, it. There's a lot of trauma that you all face on a daily yeah. basis that you have to separate and then go home to a family. And I've seen that my whole life with my mom and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, it builds. And like, I think like you're saying that sentiment of, of finding things every day, especially for medical professionals, when you see such hardship all the time and, and medical professionals yeah. from the front desk to, to yeah. the doctors, to the surgeons, to everybody. Yep. Um, just, you guys are incredible. Thank you for <sighs> everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also like for us as, as patients to recognize that yeah. and maybe be a little bit more gentle and maybe think about it a little bit more. Um, and, you know, I know there's really difficult situations and you can lose your head a little bit and, and that's understandable, but just always remember we're, we're all facing the same human experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are, <laughs> you know? we are. Yeah. yeah. In, in different more ways. kindness and understanding in, in every way possible. Yeah. And, 
you know, I just to bring it home with um, those things I do in, in seeking, um, seeking meaning and gratitude and lessons and being thankful. Mm. It's it is what I what I attempt to to talk to veterinary professionals about. It's not just good for you. It's not selfish. It is building it's building resiliency. Mm. Um, so we yeah. keep doing what we're doing. So those small moments, those small acts of, you know, we call it self-care, but you know, it's a little overused. It's really just building resiliency and allowing us to continue in this, in this world and in this profession that we love so much. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it can seem simple at times, but it is very intentional to, to be able to get up and do it again. Yeah, it's no, so that's important. staying, staying in the fight, staying right. in the fight is everything, you I, know, that's, I mean, yeah. and, and you, whatever you need to do for yourself that you can get up the next day and, and, and stay in that, in, in this, in this fight and in this life is, is worth doing. Yeah. And I have one more question. Just if anybody is listening, that's interested in the field, Mm. like what would you recommend to them, you know, about like whether it's a technician, because I know there's lots of jobs available in, in the veterinary field. Yeah. Um, like what would you say to somebody kind of like interested after kind of hearing the podcast? Yeah. Well, what I would say first is come on over because we have a huge shortage of people that want to work in the field. We, yeah. we actually have kind of a critical shortage of mm. veterinarians and veterinary technicians. So mm. if you are interested, my first recommendation would be go, go see what it is yeah. in real life. Um, find a vet or a vet tech that will let you shadow, mm. um, to go in eyes open, find out, you know, talk to people, ask questions, really understand what the field is, um, what, you know, specifically if you're going to do advanced training, um, what it's going to cost, what your salary will be. There are figures out there that you can figure out if this is the right fit for your life. Um, so those, those would be my recommendations Mm. is go in eyes wide open, get experience, but please come on over. We need more Hmm. people. And we talked a lot about the challenges in the profession, but it is awesome too. Mm. It's an awesome group of people. Um, something, you know, again, you might not know about veterinarians. We have a lot of fun with really gross things. Like yeah. most people we've seen it. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're, we're like, you can't say it at a cocktail party. Like I took an eyeball out <laughs> right. yesterday. Like no yeah. one wants to hear about that, right. but it's super cool. You get to blend mm. medicine and, and mm. compassion and mm. science and, mm. um, technology. The field is bright. Like we, we have so much cool stuff that we get to do. So come on over would mm. be my, awesome. <laughs> my other recommendation. Oh, I yeah. It. I mean, you guys face, face a lot of challenges and whenever, wherever there's challenges, there's there's community. I mean, I can't think of, of, you know, like that's just got to be such a rewarding place to be around people who are signing up for what you guys and sign up for. And there's great like successes, like Fred, we're with Fred, you know, yeah. everybody that had been working with him all were high-fiving oh and gosh, it meant yeah. so much. Like you said, like we would have popped champagne the, if we could. I think there's so much good and <laughs> in, in, in the recovery. And I think yeah. I'm sure that has to be the most rewarding. And I, I'm sure across the board, yeah. like for medical professionals, seeing that, is what gets you through the hardship because for right. most of the time you see that good and you yeah. see like life yeah. and like like we were talking about over the last like 25 years from when you were 17 when we were teenagers you know like we you didn't see dogs going with families places like the world's right. changing yep. for the better in terms of like animal um, care and it's just going to hopefully continue to get better and um, also encourage if everyone's interested in volunteering at your shelters you're talking about what was the F um, yeah. 
So, um, that's a very, yeah, very small local organization, yeah. but you can reach out to um, the ASPCA mm-hmm. uh, has plenty of um, information. Um, just, you know, go to your local shelter. Yeah. So many of them have good Instagram or Facebook presences yeah. now. I get, you know, I get tons of alert in my social media feed. Like we need volunteers for this or yes. that. Um, if you can make monetary donations, those go right. a long way. Yes. Find your local humane society and, and make a donation sure. or call and ask. Some of them need um, blankets. Like I right. recently cleaned out my linen closets and donated them to a shelter because they need clean blankets for right. the pets to right. sit right. on. Those right. little things yeah. that, that don't require a ton of money. Yeah. Um, certainly if you have money to donate or you're interested in, in charitable giving, um, shelters, spay neuter groups, um, they, they'll take it. Right. Yeah, so if you right. can work that into your giving plan, please do, but you can also find other ways to help walking dogs, cleaning litter boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many opportunities to, to volunteer. So awesome. if that, if that fills your cup, uh, in any way, I would urge you to do that. That's oh, great. This has been and so great. Courtney, yeah. how can, is there, do you have a public social media? Like how could people find you, if, um, on social yeah. media or website? Thank you. So I, I was looking and I realized most of my social media is not very public or interesting, <laughs> but I am on <laughs> I LinkedIn. <doubt> LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit of an analog baby, but I am on LinkedIn and, uh, Nora, you had asked to one, one shout out yeah. or, or one plug. I want to give if people are truly interested in helping the veterinary profession manage mm-hmm. um, and thrive in in the world. There is an organization called Not One More Vet, mm-hmm. and Not One More Vet um, gives direct financial, um, emotional, and mental health care support to veterinarians. Wow. You can find Not One More Vet at nomv.org. Um, You can make, again, direct contributions. You can find ways to volunteer. And every year they do something called the Race Around the World during September, which is Suicide Awareness Month. And so you can sponsor a team or an individual. And I've done this race before. Essentially, you just you track your miles and you compete virtually with other people that are in the race. You ask for donations um, and it raises a ton of money to directly support veterinarians, but you can also just, um, donate or volunteer if you feel, um, compelled to That's do so. so beautiful. I love that. Yeah. dot org. not one more vet. Oh, thank you so much, yeah, Courtney. I'm going to, yeah. I'll put that in the uh, description totally. to okay. this episode so yeah. people can that. see. Thank you so much for what you do you for humans, what you do for animals, what yep. you've done for us. Yep. Like we appreciate you. What you've done for Ashley as her best friend. So, 17 year old <laughs> Courtney like, would, like would be very proud. 17 year old Courtney would be very, very proud. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today. And we'll, we'll text you in like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Good. Thank you all both so much. For, for what you do, truly. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Craig, your books, I know I've shared this, but Aww. I've read them. My children have loved them. And, and please keep them coming because you you have so much to say. And, and it, it uh, really, uh, really makes a difference. So Aww. thank you thank both. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks, Courtney. Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. Yep. Our awesome music is thanks to Rose Parkington of the Parkington Sisters. And special thanks to William Flynn, the master of all things audio. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button on your streaming platform. If you're interested in more from us, like video versions of our podcast episodes, clips from our adventures on the road, and more, then head to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash stubbornly positive to support our work and message of stubborn positivity. Thank you for listening. Freddie loves you.